Good morning. It is time to get up with Madison Square Madness. A frenetic finish leaves a coach absolutely furious. Wait until you hear from him. Meanwhile, one NFL team thinking of trading up for a quarterback. Why that decision could have a giant impact around the league. And then the word comes down from the coaches, from the players. Stay off the court. So why is no one going to listen? Let's do all that and a whole lot more. Come on, people. It's time to get up. Make some noise, Russell. We need it. We are delighted to have you here. Look at Graziano's got to fly out in this to Indianapolis. Well, I don't have to fly. The, I'm just going to be on the on the plane. I'm not flying it. Well, we're looking, and it's going to be 70 degrees when he gets there. Meanwhile, we got to put a squad together for you today. We're talking football. Hasselbeck is ready to go. Harry's ready to go. And Brian Winhorst has to sort out what happened last night at Madison Square Garden. Oh my goodness, the finish of the night, and it was insane. So the Knicks and the Pistons. Pistons trying to avoid the worst record ever. Knicks, of course, in a serious playoff chase. We're in the final minute. Pistons down by one. Here comes Quentin Grimes. That's up and good. So Detroit has a one-point lead. The Knicks get the ball. Our man Mike Green is at the mic. And watch the madness that ensues. Brunson, three-pointer. Off the mark. Rebound deflected. Chased down. Saved by Grimes to Fontecchio. Knocked away. Hardenstein picks it up. Out to DiVincenzo. Ten seconds to go. He throws it away. Ball loose. Picked up by Brunson. Brunson inside the heart. Hearts banks it in. So, unbelievably, the official who was standing right there misses the rugby tackle by Dante DiVincenzo, and then they call that, and so the Knicks wind up winning on that bucket. Monty Williams enraged, and he has every reason to be. We'll play you everything he said after the game. Where's the New York media now? The absolute worst call of the season. No call. And enough's enough. We've, we've done it the right way. <clears throat> we've called the league. We've sent in clips. We're sick of hearing the same stuff over and over again. We had a chance to win the game, <clears throat> and the guy dove into Asar's legs, and there was a no call. That, that's an abomination. You cannot miss that in an NBA game, period. And I'm tired of talking about it. I'm tired of our guys asking me, what more can we do, coach? That situation is exhibit A to what we've been dealing with all season long, and enough's enough. You cannot dive into a guy's legs in a big-time game like that and there be a no-call. It's ridiculous, and we're tired of it. We just want a fair game called, period. And I got nothing else to say. We want a fair game, and that was not fair. I'm done. So that's what he said. Afterwards, the crew chief, James Williams, acknowledged that he's right. Quote, upon postgame review, we determined that Thompson gets to the ball first and then was deprived of the opportunity to gain possession of the ball. Therefore, a loose ball foul should have been whistled on New York's Dante DiVincenzo. That, of course, is, from a Detroit perspective, too little, too late. Here's Wendy. What are we supposed to say this morning, Brian Winhorst? Monty Williams is absolutely correct. It's impossible to make a no call there. The referee, and it was the crew chief, James Williams, the most veteran referee on this crew, who is indeed standing on top of the play. 
It's a clear loose ball foul. Um, it's an interesting moment of karma if you're a Knicks fan because you remember, Drini, two weeks ago, that game in Houston where there was a foul on uh, called on Jalen Brunson right at the end of the game that the yeah. officials in that game admitted was an error directly after that. Um, and that cost them that game. In this case, the exact opposite happens. There's no call made, and this basically wins them the game. Now, you may ask yourself, why can't the NBA officials review this call? And the answer is because there was no whistle blown. There was no stoppage of play. There was no call to overturn. You can't overturn a call that was never made. In the case of the Brunson call two weeks ago, that call could have been overturned, but Tom Thibodeau had already used his coach's challenge. It's an imperfect system, and unfortunately, the NBA has had a couple of very bad mistakes at the end of games here where they've admitted immediately that there was an error and then it cost the team the game. And, and as far as the frustration from the Detroit side, I, I just think it's worth reminding everyone why, despite the fact that they're nowhere near a playoff chase, why these wins might mean so much to them. Yeah, they're sitting on eight wins, and, and they've made changes to their roster. I assume that at some point they'll get two more wins, but they are not out of the woods yet on the worst-ever record, which is 76ers back in 72-73, nine wins. They've got eight. They've lost six in a row now, and I'm just going to point out they lost 28 in a row earlier this season. So, yeah, in addition to just being real angry, they're really trying to dodge this history, and this, obviously, situation doesn't help them in that. No. Uh, just remarkable. And so, again, to finish it up, there was there's probably not a whole lot that can be said or done more than us just saying it and doing it. Everyone sees it, and the call is missed. Wendy, we'll have a lot more from you. There's a bunch of other NBA to get into, so stay close by. But the other big news yesterday keeps us in New York, with Adam Schefter reporting that the New York Giants will engage with free agent running back Saquon Barkley and explore a deal with him, but are unlikely to use the franchise tag on him, that would cost them $12.1 million. And he's not the only running back who finds himself in this situation. Josh Jacobs and Tony Pollard, both tagged last year, also both not expected to be tagged this year. When you add in Derrick Henry and Austin Eckler, who are both free agents, this should make this one of the deepest running back classes in the history of football free agency. And so let me start with my insider extraordinaire here, Dan Graziano. If the football fans look at this and say, does this suggest that Saquon Barkley has played his last game as a New York Giant, hmm. is that an overreaction? No, no, it, it's entirely possible, given the way it went last year uh, and, and this. Look, part of Adam's report is that the Giants will engage with him on contract conversations. I would advise him to listen to them because this running back market, this year's running back market, is going to make last year's running back market feel like NBA free agency. I mean, like, it is all the market factors that drive down prices for these guys are still present, and the market is now flooded with big-name guys that we all just saw up on that screen. It's going to be tough. But, yes, I think there's enough... Enough history with Saquon and the Giants right now. Uh, enough dissatisfaction on his end with how things went last year uh, that it, it's more likely than not that, that he goes somewhere else and finds the deal or finds something close to the deal that he wants. All right, so that, that would be the end of an era for the New York Giants. He is their fourth all-time leading rusher. He has been the face of their franchise for several seasons in a row right now. But there is another era of New York Giants football that could come to an end soon. Our Giants reporter Jordan Renan yesterday was talking about the possibility of this team being ready to move on from its quarterback, Daniel Jones. You have Daniel Jones now, three years, 
three injuries, right? Two pretty serious neck injuries. And then he tore his ACL this year. He's still rehabbing from that. So when you're looking at it from the Giants perspective, are general manager Joe Shane and coach Brian Dable willing to risk their professional careers with a quarterback with that injury history? I've been told by multiple sources that the Giants, if the situation presents itself correctly, the Giants would be at least seriously willing to look at the quarterback position. And that proves they're watching this show. Because last week, I did a green list, Tim Hasselbeck, in which I said the number one move that I believe should be made is the Giants should move up to number three, and they should draft your guy, Drake May. And I called him your guy because you obviously have made no secret you think he's an outstanding prospect. And he reminds me, at least a little bit, of Josh Allen, whom once upon a time, Brian Dayball turned into this, you know, whatever he is now, one of the best quarterbacks in the entire world. He seems like a similar lump of clay for Brian Dayball to mold and, and, and reestablish himself as a great quarterback coach. This feels like a move that makes all the sense in the world to me, Tim Hasselbeck. What do you think? Yeah, I agree, Greeny. And listen, I, I think part of your thought process on it was, you know, based on kind of the report we just heard from Jordan and that, like, Daniel Jones hasn't been healthy. So whatever you think of him as a player, fine. But he's not available. It's a little bit like the Jimmy Garoppolo situation with Daniel Jones where you say, look, if you keep getting injured, we, like, we got to make a move anyway. So there's that factor. And then you bring in the Brian Dayball factor, which is, look, the seat's going to be pretty hot. And so the best way to kind of save your job, keep your job if you're a head coach, to have a young quarterback that's trending in the right direction as a player. So getting your hands on a really good prospect, which I certainly think Drake May is, and if he ends up being the guy that's available at three because people think otherwise in terms of the other two prospects, I think it just makes complete sense, and you've got to be ready to get all the way up there to make it happen. Harry, I'll remind everyone that Daniel Jones was drafted at six several years ago, and that is where the Giants currently Pick, do you believe, Harry, the Giants should aggressively move up and make a move for a quarterback this offseason? 100% Greeny. I would also say, let's just say that Saquon Barkley's not going to sign back with the New York Giants. If you're a Giants fan, who in the hell are you excited about to go see play <laughs> offensively for the New York Giants in 2024? <laughs> Nobody. So I think from that standpoint, the Giants need to move up and try, try to get a franchise guy to take over for Daniel Jones. And we all touched on it multiple weeks, right? It's the injury history. Daniel Jones is towards ACL in November. I, if I'm if I'm Brian Dable, if I'm Joe Shane, I'm not hitching my wagon to a guy who's been consistently hurt over the last three years and hoping that he can stay healthy in 2024 with my job possibly on the line. I'm not doing that. So I feel like the New York Giants should aggressively move up and try to get a quarterback, especially if there's if, if there's one that they really, really like in this draft. And, and Graziano, as a, being from New Jersey, you will, of course, remember the history of this well. Once upon a time, the Giants had Kurt Warner, yeah. and they drafted Eli Manning, yeah. and Warner played pretty well, and they eventually replaced him with Manning. Warner parlayed that into another opportunity in Arizona and wound up leading that team to a Super Bowl. This doesn't have to mean the end of Daniel Jones' right. career. You could let him continue. You could let him start the beginning of next season, work the young quarterback in at a reasonable pace, and if Daniel Jones plays great, good for him. He'll find another place, and he'll go on. But the Giants resetting the position feels like it makes sense. Yeah, they got to pay Daniel Jones $34 million this year anyway, right. no matter what. So you might as well I mean, the other comparison, Alex Smith and Pat 
Patrick Mahomes, right? right. Like, if, he, if Daniel Jones stays healthy and plays well, you can get some good for him. Mm-hmm. If he doesn't, you can get out of the contract after this year with very little difficulty financially. So, I, I think it makes a lot of sense. I, Jordan's report said if the situation presents itself, I, I think the Giants have to try and work the situation, whether that means trade up, whether it means take a guy you like at six, whether it means trade back and take a guy you like. I think the Giants have to really really think hard about quarterback in the first round of this year's draft. Just for those who've not been following it yet, the the general way most of the mock draft goes, most of the mock drafts go, six is too late to get one of the big three quarterbacks and probably earlier than almost anyone is projecting any of the other quarterbacks to go. So they're in that sort of, I'm not going to say no man's land, but in between place. So we'll see what they're able to do. We'll have much more on this as we go and much more football conversation as we go as well. Uh, We've got high-profile coaches calling for the end of court storming, but should it really be banned? It is the story of the week. You have to hear Michael Wilbon go off on this. We'll play it for you. Plus, Russ, did you hear what he had to say about winning Super Bowls? You will, and we'll tell you why he shouldn't be made fun of for it. That's on the way. Get up on ESPN. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Delicious, meat nutritious. And the snack that packs a real protein punch. Wonderful pistachios, one of the highest protein nuts out there. Each one-ounce serving has 6 grams of protein, giving you over 10% of your daily value. Wonderful pistachios also come in a variety of flavors and sizes, perfect for enjoying with family and friends or taking them with you on the go. And you're on the go a lot, taking the kids to school, hopping from meeting to meeting, shopping for groceries. Well, the good news is, not only are wonderful pistachios a complete protein, providing all all nine essential amino acids, they're also great for all your adventures. So whether you're a pistachio purist who loves cracking open every nut, or you prefer the convenience of no-shells pistachios, Wonderful Pistachios has got you covered. Grab Wonderful Pistachios and elevate your snacking game today. Visit wonderfulpistachios.com to learn more. Shopping for Mother's Day is usually a challenge because you wait until the last minute, but Macy's Gift Finder makes it incredibly fast and easy to find the right gift just in time for Mother's Day. Whether you're shopping for your sister's first Mother's Day or your fashionista mom who loves to make a statement, Macy's Gift Finder has so many great gift ideas that you can easily pick out something special to celebrate them both. You can shop by price, anywhere from $25 and under to $100 and under. You can also sort by category like fragrance, handbags, and more, or gift lists like for the mom who has everything, pre-wrapped gifts or gifts for grandma. Find top brands like Studio Pro Model Beats headphones, Polaroid cameras, and Samsung smart TVs. So what are you waiting for? Mother's Day is May 12th. It'll be here before you know it. Macy's has the perfect gift guide to make picking something for mom easy this year. Head to Macy's.com slash gift finder today. That's Macy's.com slash gift finder.
Get Up is brought to you by FX's Shogun, now streaming on Hulu. And we roll along. Our next game is called Fact or Fiction Quarterback Edition. So, Graziano, Kirk Cousins, working his way back from a torn Achilles. If I said the Vikings should move on to a new young quarterback, would that be fact or fiction? I think it's fiction. I know it's tricky. The Vikings eventually know they're going to have to do that. But right now, they... Yeah, they're in a little bit of a win-now window. They were a playoff team two years ago. They were almost a playoff team this past year. Cousins was playing extremely well before his injury. I think the veterans on that team would be maybe more likely to sign. Guys like Justin Jefferson, Daniil Hunter, if they felt like there was stability at quarterback, I think the Vikings need to run it back with Cousins. All right, well, so a lot of people think maybe the Steelers should go after him. But, Tim, if I said the Steelers should give Kenny Pickett one more season to prove he's worthy, is that fact or fiction? fiction because Kenny Pickett really was a ready-made product. Played a lot of college football. He was older than guys that were drafted the year before him. And so the thought was come in and play well right away. And through two seasons, he's thrown 13 touchdowns and 13 interceptions. It just hasn't been good enough. I think it's time to look to improve at the position in Pittsburgh. Yeah, and we'll see. We've heard a lot of names connected to that. One of them is Russell Wilson. Harry, if I were to say Russell Wilson will be a starter for an NFL team week one of this coming season, is that fact or fiction? Greeny, I'm going to go fact with this one, and I'm going to start at number three with the New England Patriots. If they decide to take a wide receiver there or move back in the draft and get more draft capital, you can bring in Russell Wilson to be a bridge gap, to be able to allow your young quarterback to be groomed. You look at Atlanta at number eight, they need a quarterback. You look at the Vikings at 11, you look at the Denver Broncos at 12, and also the Raiders at 13. All of those guys are going to need quarterbacks, especially the Vikings, if they don't re-sign Kirk Cousins. So if you want to draft a young quarterback uh, at that part, that area in the draft, you can use Russell Wilson as a bridge gap to be able to allow your young quarterback to sit for a year while he plays in 2024. Yeah, Wilson is an interesting one, and he had some interesting things to say. I want to play this for you in case you didn't see it. Yesterday, despite his future seemingly being all but over in Denver, he's still talking about winning Lombardi trophies and all sorts of other things. Give a listen. I got more fire than ever, honestly, especially over the past two years of what I've gone through, whether it's in Denver or somewhere else. I, I hope it's in Denver. I committed there. I wanted to be there. You know, I want to be there. For me, it's about winning. Over the next five years, I want to win, too. I want to feel the chill of that trophy again. I want to win more Super Bowls there. You know, I, I love the city and everything else. But, you know, you also want to be a place that, that wants you, too. So the reaction to this was all over the place yesterday. Tim Hasselbeck, what's yours? Look, look my reaction, look, he's going to say the right things. It's not, you know, Russell Wilson's first rodeo in terms of, you know, saying the right thing. I mean, like, or and kind of, you know, saying that he wants to be there. Look, his game has declined, okay? Now, is he still one of the best 32 quarterbacks on the planet? Probably so. Look, I just think that we're in a really unique situation with him in that he's made over $265 million playing football already. He's due nearly another $40 million no matter what, even if the Broncos cut him, which means we're talking about making roughly $300 million playing football. And the idea that he's going to go somewhere without the financial security and commitment from a team to say, look, we're not going to bench you as soon as things go poorly. And, oh, we can't guarantee you the starting quarterback position. You're going to compete for it with Kenny Pickett, somebody that that team has drafted and has something invested in. I'm just not sure that he's going to sign up for that. Look, 
I might end up being wrong, but I don't know. Like most guys that have achieved what he's achieved, have made the type of money that he has made, like they're not going to sign up for that because you can find yourself in a really embarrassing situation, much like the situation that he's in right now. He's kind of been humiliated in Denver. Why would you sign up to be humiliated in Pittsburgh? I, so I, I just think that like he will have made at the end of this season, even if he never plays a snap, the fourth most money at, at anybody that's ever played the game of football. For, so like, why are you signing up for league minimum with no guarantees? What do you think, Harry? Well, He's going to get the money regardless. Um, but I, th I think for Russell Wilson, it's like Pookie in New Jack City when he needed that quick fix. The game of football is that quick fix. It's calling me, man. Scotty is calling me. It's calling <laughs> Russell Wilson. He, when you love the game, man, it's, it's hard to get away from it. And I think for Russ, I think the best situation, in my opinion, would be the Pittsburgh Steelers. What we seen from Russ last year, even though it wasn't outstanding, Russell Wilson passed for over 3,000 yards. He completed 66% of his passes, 26 touchdowns and eight interceptions. For Pittsburgh, they need a guy that's not going to turn the football over, that can be able to make the plays when they present themselves. I thought Russell Wilson last year, even though it wasn't what we see from Mahomes or what we see from Lamar Jackson or these other dynamic quarterbacks, I thought he did a great job of holding the fort down for the Denver Broncos, especially dealing with all the madness he had to deal with with Sean Payton and company. Everything just felt wrong, right? I mean, there's, there was nothing about, <coughs> pardon me, about that situation that has felt anything but awful seemingly from the moment that he got there. What, what does the league, the people you talk to, what do they expect to happen? Yeah, I think it's a, it's a big mystery, and, and for the reasons that these two guys outlined. I think, you know, Harry's, Tim's point is an excellent one, and Harry's pushback is, well, if he really loves football, uh, then he would go play somewhere just to do it. Uh, and, and I guess that's the, that's the piece we don't know, right? Like, like how much does he want to just play? How much would he be willing to put himself in a situation like the one Tim outlined, like the one he finished the season in in Denver, uh, and, and take that risk? And that's the thing. Without getting into his head, I don't think anybody can really speculate on that. In terms of the interest, there are enough teams that are looking for quarterbacks that I think there would be a spot for him if he wants one, whether that is in Pittsburgh, whether that is in – New England, whether it's in Las Vegas, Atlanta, whatever. I mean, there are enough teams out there that are looking for it. Uh, the question will be whether it's a situation that he's willing to put himself into or whether he's willing to wait into training camp, into the season, see if somebody else gets hurt, that kind of thing. Tim, you look like you have a final thought. Quick, go ahead. Well, I just, I just think this, and be careful. Like, Russell Wilson can still love football and it just not be a good decision, you know, for him and yeah. – you know, how the whole year could end up turning out. <clears throat> I think that ends up being the key. Like, this doesn't mean like, hey, do you love football or not? Like, I'm sure he loves football. He's committed a lot of his life to it. But there also comes a period of time where you say, like, this makes no sense. Unless you are guaranteeing me in writing that I'm the starting quarterback and you're not benching me, I don't know that you do that without the financial security of it. Yeah, it's it's that's the that's the one side of the decision. The other is a lot of times guys will just have the mentality of I'm not going out this way. Like I, right. I'm not going out the way these last two years have gone. I believe in myself. And he talks like a guy who does believe in himself. We'll see as we continue in a moment. The topic of the week. The word comes down from the coaches, from the players. Stay off the court. So why is no one going to listen? We'll dive into what you got to hear from Wilbon and you will. Plus, the man who bird witness to Justin Fields in Chicago as a surprising 
amazing draft take for his team. The question is, is he right? The answer is next. Now, let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac, weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. And boom! Añejo Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good! The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic Liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. We are back on Get Up, bottom of the hour. And, of course, this is the story that's been dominating the sports conversation and beyond sports ever since Saturday night. Calls for a ban of court storming after the incident at Wake Forest in which Duke's Kyle Filipowski from what we know, avoided a major, major injury, but still has a sore knee after colliding with a fan. His head coach, John Shire, yesterday, one of many who was saying the time has come to get rid of this storming of the court. Absolutely. We shouldn't wait until next year or something should be done right now. At the end of the day, players and, and coaches and, and officials are the only people that belong on a court. So that's what he said. Kansas coach Bill Self told ESPN yesterday, let's get rid of it totally. I don't see the positive impact from a visual standpoint. Our game has excitement and people are excited about college basketball so much. Court storming isn't as big of a positive as a potential negative that exists with somebody getting hurt or lawsuits. So those are some coaches. How about some media voices that you need to hear from? How about Michael Wilbon on PTI? This has to stop. There's no other opinion. Any other opinion is stupid and lazy and ignores the safety of the athletes and the fans. I've heard people say, oh, they should just delay it 30 seconds and let the fans. Fans have been hit by goalposts. Fans have trampled each other. This is stupid. It's got to stop. There's one thing I love about my friend, Mr. Wilbon. He will tell you what he thinks. (laughs) Uncle Seth, no relation. Seth Greenberg is up with us this morning, and we borrow Chris Canty from ESPN Radio One Sportsman like every weekday morning, coast to coast. I've not heard from you. I'll start with you. And, of course, this – and I want to keep Harry in this and you as well because this – we've all seen it. It happens in college football as well. It's a different dynamic, obviously, because of the size and dimensions of the field. But it's the same basic idea. Where are you? You hear these people saying, get rid of this, keep the people off the the field and off the court, what do you say? Yeah, something has to be done about court storming. Now, from a practical standpoint, I don't know that it makes sense to try to keep fans off the court or off the field because I don't know that you're going to be able to keep college kids off the court or off the field after they've been, you know, drinking and carrying on in these stadiums, in these arenas. I don't know that that's, that's something that could actually be pragmatic. But what I will say is this. 
They do need to beef up security in situations where you can anticipate a court storming happening. And this is not the first time that it's happened for Duke this year. It happened in their upset loss to Arkansas earlier in November. And so that's something that everybody involved has to do a better job in. And that includes the players and the coaches, the assistant coaches from the team that's trying to get off the court. Well, look, I mean, we all understand the games where these are going to happen. It's going to happen when Duke loses. It's going to happen when Alabama loses. We all know that it happens. But to be clear, I want when you say you can't stop this from happening. But it doesn't happen in the NFL. It doesn't happen in the NBA. They can stop it there. They don't there. have student sections so in why, the NFL or the NBA. I understand that, that but yeah. I mean, you, you can tell the students what they can and can't do, and you can enforce it if you choose to. No, I, I'm, I'm confused as to why you say you can't stop. Well, well, trying to enforce things on a college campus or even at a college sporting event, I, I just don't think it's the same type level of decorum that you can anticipate when you have a professional game where you have season ticket holders and that, that kind of fan base. So I think the dynamic of the fans that are in the stadiums or arenas absolutely play a role in it. But let's also not pretend like the players don't have to have some more awareness in those situations as well. What do you mean by that? Well, well what we saw from Kyle Filipowski, he's acting like he's going on a walk through the quad on campus where you see that there are fans that are storming the court. He has to have more awareness of the situation and have urgency about getting the hell off the court. Now, I think that they have to do a better job of creating a plan and having that in place. And I get that we don't want to put the onus on the visiting teams, but that has to happen. Wait a minute. Hold on. I'm sorry. I have to push back on you here. Go Chris. ahead. You're telling me that it should be the player who's, who's – who, his place is on the court. Sure. He's allowed to be on the yes. court. He was involved in the play where the game ended. The buzzer yes. sounds. He's on the court. Yes. You're telling me the responsibility needs to be on him to avoid this onrushing crowd as opposed to the crowd not – not damaging the player who belongs there, and these people who don't belong there are the ones who should not have the responsibility. I'm confused by where you're putting the responsibility. Greeny, I'm putting the responsibility on everybody involved. I'm putting the responsibility on the coaches. I'm putting the responsibilities on the universities, the stadium people, the securities, the arena people. I'm putting the responsibility on everybody to try to keep the players and the coaches of the visiting teams as safe as they possibly can be. As a player, you've got to have awareness, and I know that we always talk about that with in-game situations, but you also have to have awareness of the environments that you're in. And in that situation over the weekend, I don't think Kyle Filipowski showed that level of awareness. Let me get Seth in here because you talked about that a lot on Saturday. Again, you, you were a college, for those who don't know, Seth coached college basketball forever and you, you had one game where your team at Virginia Tech beat Duke and there was a court storming and you talked yesterday about all the planning that went into that. Where, where are the responsibilities in all of this, Seth, to make sure it doesn't become a problem? Yeah, I don't put it on the visiting team in terms of how quickly they get off the court. Yeah, I mean, could he have gotten off the court quicker? Sure, he could have gotten off the court quicker. But you know what? It's the responsibility when you go into someone's house. It's the responsibility of the people in that house, their liability and their responsibility to get the players off the court safely. And that means when you say you know, you can't stop it, Chris, you can stop it. You can have some things, uh, things in place. Here's the thing. In life, society in general, You've got to have agility, whether it's business, whether it's coaching, or whether it's a situation like court storming. I used to be a huge proponent of court storming. The world has changed. All right, I keep on saying, cell phones, kids are running on the court, they're, they're looking at their cell phones. They have less respect for others. You see the one guy just push Kyle Powski, Phil Powski in the back. There's a lack of respect for other people. We've got to find a solution to the problem. A couple things you can do, and I talked about it the other day, obviously you can have a grace period. I think the other thing is, you know, you say you can't solve the problem. How about in the student section? 
to have a right to come in and get your seat in the student section. You've got to sign basically a contract. And the contract is there's behavioral aspects to the contract in terms of when you get that ticket, there are certain things expected of you. I don't care if you're 18 years old. I don't care if you're 20 years old. I don't care if it's a student section. You know what? Right is right and wrong is wrong. And the lack of respect that the fans had for the Duke players to get off the court safely isn't right. You just have, you've got to understand the world has changed. You've got to have some semblance of agility to change with the times. Why do you look skeptical, Chris? No, I, just, I, don't, I don't think students signing a contract saying that they're not going to engage in court storming is going to deter that behavior. I guess my whole point with Kyle consequence is, there is your team has already gone through this this season. You should have some level of awareness like, hey, court storming is a thing, and until we have better tools in place or a better plan in place, then I've got to take some of the onus on me to get the hell off of the court. Let, let me that ask you a question. Let me, again, and Harry, I'm sorry, I'll get you in in a second, I promise. But, but let's just say you're in this situation. You're a college player, which you yeah. once upon a time where you lose a very close, hard-fought, tough game, and some fan comes running up to you three seconds later and yells something in your face. Is, is, do you think you would have had perfect restraint? And I mean, that's what this kid is obviously doing at Filipowski, the first one. When, when we beat, I was at Northwestern, okay? Yeah. 1988, we beat Indiana. They're the defending national champs. I ran out onto the court to celebrate. You know what I didn't do? I didn't run right up to Bob Knight and start yelling in his yeah. face because he would have punched me and I would have deserved it. That's the point. I would have deserved it. So if you run out there and Kyle Filipowski is defending himself and gives you one of these, I'm the last person <clears> in the world to advocate violence, but I'm telling you right now, Right now, you deserve it. If you run up to a player, you want to go out and celebrate with your friends, great. You run up to the, these players who just lost a game and you're kind of getting in their face and rubbing it in, you're asking for whatever. Yeah, happens. the emotions of it all makes it a powder keg. I mean, not only the emotions of the fans that are celebrating, but the emotions of the players on the losing team, which is why you have to have a better plan in place than what was displayed in Wake Forest over the weekend. That's why security staff from the arenas needs to be involved, the coaching staff, not just the head coach, but the assistant coaches need to be involved. But you have to also make players aware of the situation. Again, plan in place. You're going to go to your team bench. You're going to be escorted to this exit once the game is over with so we can get you players out of harm's way. What was displayed on Saturday was egregious. It was a breakdown across the board. All I'm saying is that the players can help themselves by showing more urgency in getting out of the way because court storming has continued to be a thing throughout collegiate sports. Let me hear from Harry. Go ahead, Harry. Yeah, I think one of the biggest points that we're all missing is that if the NCAA wanted to cut down on this, they actually could. But do they want to? Do athletic they don't have directors to say it, really Harry. want to? Be- it's not an NCAA oh, okay, issue. It's a, but, it's a commissioner's level issue. Go ahead, Harry. Well, that, that was going to be my next thing. All the commissioners, do they really want it to stop? Because when you see the visuals, and I was a part of being at college game day at Tennessee, where you had Tennessee winning that football game and a lot of people stormed the football field. When I mean it was crazy down there, I was in the midst of everything that y'all are seeing right now, and it was insane. But when you look at that visual, that's what these commissioners, these ADs and company, that's what they love because it's a selling point for them. And it's a it's one of the differences that you get in college football, college athletics from professional sports. So I agree with some of what Chris Canty was saying earlier. When you have uh, NBA teams, the NFL teams, yes, it's a reason why you don't see that. Because at the college level, this these are students. Uh, you have season ticket holders. When you look at the NBA or the National Football League, you have calmer fans. 
fans. That's one of the things that I've noticed when I cover professional sports versus college sports, the passion and how much they really love their university and their teams. And these students, man, they, they grow up living for these opportunities for their, for their universities to be the major blue blood team so they can have uh, the luxury of being able to storm a quarter or a football field. I got a question for you guys. I got a question for you, Greeny. You guys are two great players. There's a question, Greeny, you just asked a second ago. You're walking off the court, and some guy bumps into you, and you just kind of push him away. How big are you, Chris? Six what? Six Six, eight, 350 pounds. All right, six eight, 350 pounds. You just throw him to the side. He falls down, all right? Who becomes the bad guy? It's the athlete. And that's why you have to have a level of awareness if you are an athlete, knowing that you're going to be treated differently, knowing that you've got to try to put yourself out of that situation as quickly as possible. I get it. It doesn't sound like there is a perfect solution for the issue. And I'm not trying to pass the buck or saying that it doesn't need to be addressed because it absolutely does. I just don't think it's realistic or it's practical to say that you're going to eliminate court storming altogether. I just don't know how you do it. I have to let Chris get back on the radio. Unsportsmanlike, coast to coast every weekday morning. You're the best, big man. Thank you. We'll talk more about this as we go. By the way, Super Tuesday doubleheader tonight. Mississippi State and Kentucky, 7 Eastern, then Texas, Texas Tech. Both games are on ESPN and the ESPN app. As we continue, LeBron, his plan in jeopardy. The King fires back at reports about his son's draft stock. You need to hear it. We'll talk about it as we roll on. Plus, is Drake May overrated? A controversial take? Tim Hasselbeck will respond. Oh, there's a lot to say. It's Get Up on ESPN. Ten seconds on the clock. How many things can you name that are always growing? Your relationships. Your skills. Your customer base. How about businesses on Shopify? (laughs) Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a one dollar per month trial period at Shopify.com/network. All lowercase. Go to Shopify.com/network now to grow your business. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify.com/network. We are back on Get Up. Our draft expert, Matt Miller, has just released his latest draft rankings, and here's where the quarterbacks landed about two months from the draft. Caleb Williams remains the top prospects. Many scouts and analysts have referred to him as sort of a once-in-a-lifetime player, won the Heisman. By now, you know everything about him. Jaden Daniels, the Heisman winner from this past year at LSU, is Matt's number five overall Prospect. He's the only player ever with 12,000 passing yards and 3,000 rushing yards in his career. And then Drake May from Carolina is right after him, number six overall. He has been the subject of a fair amount of debate and disagreement as a prospect in this early stage of the evaluation. I need you to hear what our old friend Merrill Hodge had to say about Drake May. I wouldn't touch May. I wouldn't. I wouldn't grab May. I wouldn't draft him in the first round. And there's a bunch of things that bother me he's extremely inconsistent as uh, his accuracy his processing inconsistent um he's not extremely athletic i think i find him more stiff he's got a longer throwing motion which allows more hits in our league than he gets in college so that, that was merrill um you know tim hasselbeck I, I will just sort of 
give you the floor. I know how high you are on Drake May as a prospect. And look, everyone is entitled to their opinions. But some of the things that he said there didn't, they just didn't sound right to me. What, what, what was your reaction? Yeah, I'm going to text my old buddy, Merrill, and uh, make sure he can find the ACC network to actually watch him a little bit more. I, look, I, like, I would just say this. The idea that he's not uh, athletic, I, I, just, I have no idea where, like, where you can kind of come up with that assessment of Drake. I mean, look at this moving to the left here. Ball gets ripped out of his hand to make that throw. Like, that's super athletic for, for a guy his size. For perspective, in the last two seasons, he's rushed for over 1,500 yards. Caleb Williams has rushed for about 500 yards. Like, it, it, to me, in terms of questioning his athleticism, I mean, there's really no other way for me to say it other than I think that's absurd. I think he is a remarkable athlete. And, I, and I've kind of talked about in terms of when you look at his size and athleticism and that combination, the rarefied air that I believe he will keep company with are guys like Justin Herbert and Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes. Like, you don't, in, a, in second overtime against Duke, you don't run a quarterback sweep with a guy that's a stiff athletically. Like, you don't do that. Like, you put the ball in your, your best athlete's hands, which is exactly what they did. And also this, in terms of inconsistencies, there's a change in coordinators between year one and year two as a starter for him. That's hard for any quarterback. And still over that stretch, he accounts for 78 touchdowns over those, those two seasons, both passing and running. Like, he is an incredible prospect. Like, that's fact. You might prefer Caleb Williams or Jane Daniels. That's fine. That's your choice. But he is a, a – like, to say that he's not a first-round draft pick – that's wild, man. Like, really, really wild. Yeah. His brother is Luke May, by the way, for those who don't know. I mean, he's from a super athletic family. Uh, Luke May was a star basketball player at North Carolina. Harry, you cover the college game. Give me a quick, quick uh, reaction to this. Yeah, um, I think when you look at all three top quarterbacks, you're going to find inconsistencies in all their games. Uh, but when you talk about Drake May, as well as the other ones, all three of them are dual threat quarterbacks. But for me, two years ago in 2022, Drake May led North Carolina in rushing yards, y'all. And over the last two years, he has 16 rushing touchdowns. And this play right here, the left-handed throw for a touchdown against Pittsburgh is unbelievable. I also love the one where you have pressure against Clemson coming off the left side. He's drifting to the right, throws off his back foot, but throws a, uh, a dime to his wide receiver to catch for a touchdown. You see a lot of the athleticism show up in his game when you're watching his tape. So I don't agree with the fact that he's not athletic and he's a stiff. Now, when you talk about inconsistencies, I think every quarterback in this draft we can find inconsistencies in their game just because of how the college game is made and how a lot of times you know they just get up to the line of scrimmage they look to the to the left and see what the play is and they're throwing these screens and whatnot but I like all three of these quarterbacks to make a team uh better in 2024 you're off to the combine today where some of these questions will start to get answered right yeah quarterback evaluation very subjective uh obviously I think what we're hearing from Merrill is an extreme opinion and not likely to be reflected in what ultimately happens. I think it'll be a high first-round pick. Uh, I, I don't think there's any doubt. I mean, Caleb Williams, I think at this point, I'd be shocked if he's not the number one overall pick. So the question is, what do you do at two? What do you do at three? Um, 
scouts, NFL evaluators, they, they wish Drake May had played better this past year, right? But, I mean, there's also the factor of, you know, what happened around him? Did he lose all his receivers? So I think they'll draft on traits. They'll see what they see. And I don't think there's any question that there are teams that see high-end potential with this player. All right, we'll talk a lot more about that as we go. But that's not the only mock draft that got a lot of attention yesterday. So we'll dive into sort of a, a little bit of a, a complicated place. Our Jonathan Gavoni released his first 2025 mock draft for the NBA yesterday. And, and the noteworthy name in this, of course, is USC's Bronny James. That's LeBron's son. And Gavoni is projecting him to go in the second round of the 2025 draft. At one point, he was projected as a 2024 lottery pick. So LeBron went on Twitter Shortly after this, he has subsequently deleted this tweet, but he tweeted, can you all please just let the kid be a kid and enjoy college basketball? The work and results will ultimately do the talking no matter what he decides to do. If you all don't know, he doesn't care what a mock draft says. He just works, earned and not given. Again, LeBron has subsequently taken that tweet down. Brian Winhorst, again, you've known LeBron since he was a teenager. This is such a complicated area. I get so uncomfortable talking about things like this when we're, when we're dealing with someone and their son, and we understand all of the dynamics involved. What, what is the right reaction to have to all this? Well, I think Jonathan Gavoni, whose track record of uh, projecting prospects is golden, I think he's being very fair, and he's not the only one who feels this way. Scouts feel this way. John Hollinger at The Athletic, a former NBA uh, executive, wrote something similar about a week or so ago. Um, just let's be fair from LeBron's perspective, too. I agree with him that Bronny James is definitely a hard worker and definitely should be given some space. But also, we don't know what Bronny wants. He has never done an interview since being at USC. He never did an interview in high school. We were only left with what his father says, which he's made clear repeatedly about his desire to have his son with him in the NBA. And that's what we're reacting to here. And the other thing is, yes, he is a college freshman and let him have the college experience. He also is projected to have the most NIL money of any college athlete this year in excess of $6 million. So let's not also pretend like he is not extremely high profile. The bottom line to all of this, right now he is not an NBA-level player. That doesn't mean that he won't be in the future, which is what Gavoni's ranking reflects. And, and, and all of that... Aside, as you mentioned, LeBron has talked about wanting to play with him and all the rest of that. So what should we be thinking with the Lakers having the season they're having right now? What should we be thinking about LeBron's future? Yeah, let me just say a couple things about the Lakers. Regardless of what happens this season, and they're still in the thick of it for sure, they still are in position to make a major move this summer. And they also, LeBron can opt out of his contract this summer, which I think he will do, Greeny, for two reasons. One, he can get a multi-year contract uh, that averages 50-plus million dollars a year. Regardless of how long he wants to play, I think he's going to want to do that. And this is important. He doesn't have a no-trade clause right now, which is why all of a sudden there was this, you know, this chatter about him at the trade deadline. If he opts out of his contract and signs a new one, even if it's just for two years, he can install a no-trade clause to get that out of the way. So I expect, regardless of Bronny, regardless of the Lakers finish, it's probable he'll opt out of that contract, even if it's just to re-sign with the Lakers. All right, Wendy, stay close by. I've got a million more things I want to get to with you, including what happened last night in New York. Madison Square Madness. A frenetic finish that left one coach furious, and he had every right to be. Wait until you see and hear this next. Next. 